Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. During the months of July and August, we'll be looking at John Knox, Scotland's reformer. If you'd like to learn more about John Knox, and there is a lot to learn, there's plenty of resources online. And if you prefer books, a good starting point is an excellent little primer, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. It's just 100 pages, and it's packed with fast-moving information about Knox. And there's a link to buy the book on www.semper-reformata.com throughout July and August. Just follow the link in the episode notes. The book costs just £5.49. A small part of that goes to support this podcast. The Book of the Month, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. Welcome to the Semper Reformata Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Turn, please, to the book of Revelation. Continuing on from last week to read from Revelation chapter 6. We're going to commence at verse 12. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of the heavens fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand Amen. Well, what we're reading in that passage is the message that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give us through John to his church, to the church of John's day and by extension to us. If you turn back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, you will be clearly taught that these are the words that Jesus wants us to know. It tells us there the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants 
things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And that verse teaches us that God has spoken to us, that Christ wants us to learn things, and he's speaking through John to his church, to his people. And I'm only telling you that because the passage that we have read together has serious implications, and it is full of terror, a terrifying passage. It's meant to be. The Lamb of God is also the Lion of Judah, the one who came into the world as a lamb to be slain for sinners, is the same person who one day will return as judge to exact the terrible wrath of God upon this sinful world. And there's no sugarcoating on this. When John the Baptist was preaching at the side of the River Jordan and he saw the people of Israel coming to be baptized, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned thee to flee from the wrath to come? But you don't hear much of that in the modern church. Our ears are not accustomed to God's judgment and wrath being preached. But for the people to whom John is conveying this heavenly vision, this will be a comfort. Because those people in those first days are living in fear for their lives in the Roman Empire. And they need to know that the day will surely come when the tables will be reversed when all the wrongs that have been done on them will be put to rights in God's time. And this frightening passage is to comfort persecuted believers. So tonight we'll spend just a few moments looking at it and see what we can learn. Well, the first thing that we see, of course, is in Revelation 6 and 12, is the fact that it is the sixth seal. Just look at the opening of the verse. Revelation 6 and 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. Well, we've been looking at Revelation chapter 6, and these seals have been opened. And the sixth seal has been opened by the Lord Jesus, by the one who is the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, the one whom we have learned has all of history and the destiny of the entire universe in his hands. He has taken the scroll that has God's purpose and plan laid out in it, for only he is worthy to do so. And he's been opening these seals, and this is the seal of the last judgment on the last day. And we know that because it says so in verse 17. It tells us here that the great day of his wrath is come. 
So to understand this sixth seal, which is about the final destruction of the universe at the end of this age, as the wrath of God is poured out in judgment, we have to remember how we are looking at Revelation and what we have learned. One of the things that I'm keen to remind people about is that Revelation must never be viewed as chronological or linear history. It is a series of parallel scenes, each scene spanning the history of the church from the early first days of the church right through to the end of the gospel age, each scene teaching John and the early Christians and the church a different aspect about the unfurling of God's plan. So Revelation chapter 1 to verse 3 shows us Christ in the midst of the candlesticks. Christ in the middle of his church, with them, with all their imperfections and impurities. Revelation chapter 4 to verse 7, or rather to chapter 8 verse 1, because the chapter headings, remember, are not inspired chapter headings and the verses are put there for you to be able to look them up much later. Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1 is one such scene. Scene 2, it takes us from the visions of the church worshipping God around the throne, God the creator in chapter 4, God the redeemer in chapter 5, through the ongoing judgments of God upon this sinful world, which we seen a couple of weeks ago. Through the vision of the martyrs in heaven, who are under the blood of Christ, resting and waiting for vengeance upon this sinful world. For the sake of the honour of Christ, and they're there to the very last days of this present age, when the trumpet of God shall sound, and Christ will come, when the last sinner has been saved. Verse 11, when the last martyr has been brought into the kingdom, into God's eternal kingdom. So verse 11 finishes with these martyrs waiting and resting for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were would be brought in and God's elect people finally complete. And when that day comes, when the last soul has been saved, when the last martyr has died, and God in his judgment will pour out his terrible wrath upon this world. So we have the sixth seal being opened. But the next thing we see in the passage is the six effects of creation. Look at chapter 6, please, and just the second part of verse 12. And lo, there was a great earthquake, 
and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now remember that Revelation is full of symbolism. So let's not deal with this too literally. But we see here the six, six effects of decreation. Now, when I was typing this out, I discovered that uh, whoever programs these word processing programs objects to the word decreation, and apparently it doesn't exist. So I've just created it. It was God who created the universe. It was God who created the world and everything in it. And just as he created it, he can bring it to an end. He can destroy it. For the whole universe itself is fallen and ruined by sin. Remember that God gave Adam dominion over creation. And when he fell, the whole creation suffered. Remember that I taught you that we interpret the symbol of revela- symbolism of Revelation with the help of the Old Testament. And there is a parallel passage in Isaiah 34 and verse 4, where it tells us that all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, that the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, that the host shall fall down, just as the leaf falls from the vine, as a fruit falling from, from, a, from a fig tree. These verses describing in symbolism. Let's look at them just for a brief moment. There will be, according to this, uh, what seems to be a mighty worldwide earthquake. The whole earth shaking under the impact of God's judgment. The darkening of the sky as the sun finally dies. The melting of the moon as it seems to spin out of orbit. Stars falling from their orbit. How can stars fall to the earth? Stars are huge heavenly bodies. But remember, this is symbolic. The whole universe is being brought to an end. And the sky seemingly fleeing away, being rolled up like a scroll. Can't imagine what that would be like, can you? If you look and remember back to the teaching that we had some time ago about the ascension, but how the Lord Jesus rose at his ascension physically and bodily, and we're taught that he shall return in like manner. And we know that when he returns on that last day, we too shall rise to meet him. And I wonder, is this something like what the ungodly will be visually aware of on that day? When they realize that everything godly, everything that is good, everything that is righteous is being taken from this earth. That the earth is fleeing away from them. And remember, this is all happening in the twinkling of an eye. Physical landscapes changing. Mountains 
crumbling down, the built environment falling, the seas raging and foaming as God brings this dreadful old groaning world to its final conclusion. And that terrible day will have a universal effect on all of God's creation. We see it here. Not just the earth, but the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together, awaiting that last day. God's wrath falling upon a creation destroyed and ruined by Adam's sin. Six effects of decreation. The next part of the passage talks about those who have rejected the Lord. I want you to see the six ranks here of Christ rejectors in verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves. Well, let's look at these people. We've seen the the effect of that terrible day on creation. But what about those who will be alive on that day? Look at the completeness of God's judgment. See how comprehensive this terrible judgment of God on mankind will be. Look at the passage in verse 15. You have the kings of the earth, the monarchs, the kings, the queens, the rulers, the dictators of this world. John would be thinking of the late dictator Nero, the relentless persecutor of the church in Rome in that day, and those of his ilk who followed after him, a brood of vipers indeed. And then you have the high and the mighty, the important people. Look at them. The kings of the earth and the great men, those Lords and ladies living with a sense of entitlement, people who expect the likes of you and me to bow and scrape before them, to curtsy and kowtow and bow and treat them with the dignity that they think they deserve. Kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men. Can you think about them? the movers and shakers, the so-called philanthropists, the people who manipulate the agendas of the world with their finances and their largesse, the men and women who buy the votes of politicians so that they will follow their wicked agendas, the bureaucrats who deal with people's money, the people who lavish favours upon politicians and excesses of hospitality so that the politician is in their pocket and they can get through whatever wicked legislation they want. The military commanders. Look at them. The chief captains. The Christians knew these men. In John's day, it was Roman centurions with the power of life and death over ordinary people. And we have them too in our day. 
people who march at the head of armies, people who sit in offices in Whitehall and in Washington and in Moscow and wherever, and they sit and decide the fates of ordinary people on the ground, people who send soldiers into battle, these great commanders sending people to their death. And the business classes, the mighty men, the wealth generating capitalists and the bankers, and the predator classes, and the people who make their money by lending at extortionate interest rates and the people who repossess homes, and the people who are buying up all the farmland and turning it into useless uh, global warming-style sun-trap farms, whatever they call those things. The people who benefited from COVID lockdowns. The people who set up companies the day before they were given multi-million pound contracts. The people who smuggle other people across the world. The mighty men. There's a day of reckoning for them all. For the rulers and the dictators and the important people and the wealthy classes and the military commanders and the business wealth-generating capitalists, there's a day of reckoning coming when all the wickedness of this world will be brought to book. But you see, John doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and every bondman and every free man common people, the proletariat, the working classes, the laborers, the decent people that you meet every day in the street, the people that's doing an honest day's work, the people that's going home to their families and paying their rent and rendering 20 shillings to the pound and owing no one nothing, the people who are captured and enslaved, the down and outs and the homeless and the poor and the lowest ranks. But why? You can understand why God would pour out his wrath on the predator classes of this world. But why upon the poor and the afflicted? Here's why. Because this is not about social justice. You listen to the Archbishop of Canterbury or listen to the Pope what are they concerned about? Global warming. What are they concerned about? Black lives matter. They're concerned about social justice. They want justice for gay rights. They want justice for people who think they're women when they're men. Church of England wasn't it last week just the Church of England decided they didn't know what a woman was. But you see, 
<coughs> on God's judgment day. This isn't about social justice. This is about what did you do with Jesus? This is about did you accept Christ as Saviour or did you reject him? This is about rebellion against God and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. On that day, God will bring his vengeance upon every one of us. And the reason, in my humble opinion, the reason that the church doesn't like the message of God's judgment and the reason they don't preach God's judgment upon the Christ rejecter is because they have lost the doctrine of original sin. They forget that every single person deserves nothing but the wrath of God. And so from the very highest to the very lowest on that day, Everyone who is on this earth, who is outside the saving, mercy and grace of God, will fall under the terrible wrath of a wholly offended God. And look at their terror. As they witness what's happening. It tells us at the end of verse 15 that they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I watched a video, maybe you saw it, there was a video on social media doing the rounds last week. It was made by a man who was up on a mountain and he was standing on this rocky knoll, this, this rock, and he was looking and away in the distance an earthquake began and all you could see was this cloud of dust and the earthquake coming down the mountain and he kept the camera trained on it as it came down the mountain and he was all excited and talking about it, seeing this great movement of rocks coming down the mountain. And then, without warning, suddenly, it changed direction. And it headed straight to where he was. And he could see it, and you can immediately change his excitement, changed to absolute terror as the rocks headed straight towards him. He jumped down behind the rock that he was sitting on, and he cowered down. And somehow, the camera kept filming. And all you could see was this mountain of rocks overhead, flying over the top of him. Miraculously, he survived. But you could hear the horror in his voice. How much greater on that day, when God pours out his judgment, when we realize that it is too late, when we realize that we are still in our sins, when we realize that we really should have been begging God for forgiveness and mercy and coming before him in repentance. And not one of us knows when that great and terrible day of the Lord will happen. In fact, Peter warns us in 1 Peter 3 and verse 10, 
in similar terms that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night when the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and their works that are in in it will be burned up. A terrible day. The day of God's terrible wrath. Time has gone, but I crave your indulgence for one final point. Before we finish, have you noticed an interesting sequence of numbers in this passage? Remember that all the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. And what have we seen? We've seen the sixth seal. And we've seen six effects of decreation. And we've seen six ranks of man. Can you put that together? And can you compare it with what we read in Revelation 13 and verse 8? Where in Revelation 13 and verse 8, it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who hath understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Forget about the beast thing for a minute. This is the number of a man. The number of a man, his number, is six, six, six. A dreadful falling short of perfection. Every one of us, every man or woman or child under the terrible condemnation of God because there is none righteous, no, not one. We are all imperfect beings. We are all sinners. We all fall short of God's perfection. Every one of us under the terrible condemnation of God on that last day. except for one. And that's God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had no sin, who did not inherit Adam's sin, who was sinless and whose life was pleasing to God unlike our our sinful lives. That sinless one died to pay the fine for my sin. He bore my punishment. He carried all the crushing weight and the shameful curse of my disobedience. He endured my hell for me. And he completely satisfied the righteous justice of God for me. The world worries about how they will survive in this life. We've spent two years terrifying people with COVID. Last week we were terrifying them about the sunshine, weren't we? Thousands are going to die because the sun reached 40 degrees. And just yesterday or the day before, the World Health Organization announced we should terrify people about monkeypox. People are terrified. But they're terrified about the wrong things. 
We ought to be terrified about the last day of God's judgment. And yet for those of us who are believers, there is nothing to fear. And here's why there's nothing to fear. Because all of the terror and all of the horror of that passage, the terrible anger of God that has been described in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 to 17, that great wrath which can deconstruct this earth, the terrible anger of God that will fall upon every man, has already fallen upon Christ for you and for me and for all of those who are his. And on that awful judgment day, on that day when the wicked will be cowering under the terrible wrath of God, Christians will be safe, hidden in Christ. So the passage finishes. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? And next week, God willing, we'll answer that question. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.